0: The main thing that we have in our mind is that exposure to more minorities in school that could matter for party affiliation because um, it could be influencing the preferences or beliefs that people have that vary sharply between the two major political parties in the U.S. and so. In the, again, in the political science literature, there's been a lot of work showing that racial attitudes are tightly linked to party identification. You can pull up survey data, and it frequently shows that Republicans, for example, are less likely to agree that whites have had uh, economic or social advantages um, uh, relative to other racial groups in the country. Um, and so the, it really does seem like there's the, there, there's this sort of racial dimension to party affiliation in the U.S. context, and we think that's sort of the tie uh, in our setting is that okay maybe what goes on is you have this increased exposure to minority groups it changes your attitudes and uh you know then that changes later like political affiliation
1: All right. Hello, everybody. So today, uh, we're going to talk about uh, U.S. politics and schools. So the U.S. has strong political polarization, and that can actually affect policy outcomes. One of the elements of political polarization that's quite important and drives partisanship is race and views about race. In particular, whites are more likely to be Republicans, and then Republicans, in turn, are likely to support you know, policies that don't necessarily favor integration, racial integration. And so, for example, they might be more likely to oppose policies like busing or affirmative action. But one interesting thing that is worth thinking about is that this racial integration policies themselves can actually change racial attitudes and political partisanship because by obtaining greater racial integration, this allows whites to get to know more Black people and potentially Change their minds. So, this is going to be the topic of today's discussion, uh, and specifically, we're going to focus on the impact of busing on political affiliation. And I have the great pleasure today to welcome Eric Chin to the podcast to discuss this issue. And Eric Chin is an assistant professor of economics at Dartmouth College, and actually, you can follow him on Twitter at Eric Chin. And he has a truly fascinating and diverse body of work exploring topics such as the impact of public housing and neighborhoods on children. Children. But today, we're going to focus on his co-authored paper with Steve Billings and Karim Hagag on the impact specifically of busing on political affiliation. So welcome to the show, Eric.
0: Yes, thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be able to chat with you about this work.
1: Awesome. So as I was uh, just previewing, there's this thing that we call the contact hypothesis in this academic literature and what it says basically is that contact with people from out groups perhaps people that you know we have prejudices against when we are in the in group so contact with these out groups could reduce prejudice for members of the in group and so for the topic of today this might mean that contact with black people could reduce racial prejudice among whites Um, so prior to the paper we're going to discuss today what was the evidence for this hypothesis eric
0: so there's a large literature that looks at the effects of exposure to diversity and uh, most recently there's been a lot of clever experimental studies that find evidence that affirms the contact hypothesis and so specifically exposure to outgroups could reduce prejudice Um, just to give you a little bit of a feel for what people have found in this recent work uh, two recent papers one by Salma Musa at Yale and another by Matt Lowe at the University of British Columbia. Um, they conduct field experiments and show that intergroup exposure reduces prejudice in collaborative contexts. So, specifically, they were looking at individuals playing team sports, and they have this finding that exposure to diversity matters in, the, in those settings.
1: Right. So, and to be clear, a field experiment is something like when we do an experiment, similar like when we're doing a clinical trial, but it's actually involving real people in real activities, such as sports. And I think one of those was involving soccer playing or something like that.
0: Indeed, yes. The the work by Salma was uh, looking at soccer players in a Middle Eastern context. Yeah.
1: Right. And so in that study, they found that having contact with other ethnic groups that perhaps we have prejudice against if we play soccer with them, that can lower that level of prejudice. And so this is, of course, uh, goes along with this idea of the contact hypothesis that exposure to other groups can reduce prejudice. So that would be great. But there's also some research, though, (laughs) that found that sometimes forcing increased contact with outgroup members, uh, which policymakers might be tempted to do having seen that you know exposure to other group members uh, could help, we might say, oh, great, let's do a policy to increase that contact. But there's also other research that shows that that can lead to backlash. So can you tell us more about that research?
0: Yeah, so you're exactly right. And this is the, you know, there's these really two contending theories. One is contact hypothesis and the other is a theory of racial threat. Um, and so those other studies that have found evidence of this racial th- Threat force going on is that you know you could worsen people's attitudes toward different groups. Um, previously, we've seen some research in line with this studying black-white voting behavior in the U.S. And then, much more recently, uh, we've seen several studies from Europe that, uh, for example, they look at areas where they've seen more uh, larger inflows of refugees, and they've seen in those areas. Uh, increased support for right-leaning political parties that have anti-immigration agendas. Uh, so that's all evidence consistent with the story of backlash sometimes when you get ex- increased exposure to diversity.
1: So do we have any idea based on this literature of what could be the difference in context between context where exposure might help reduce prejudice versus context where exposure might actually increase prejudice or at least backlash?
0: That's a really great uh, question, and, and and there are a lot of there is a lot of discussion, especially in the sociology and political science literature, that focuses on um, trying to reconcile in more detail both of these theories. And I think in the contact hypothesis space, usually um, they think about what one of the most important features is is that you have a setting where there's collaboration. Um, so, for example, the sports context is fairly helpful because people in you know, from different ethnic backgrounds may come together and find in this collaborative setting of team sports that, okay, that's an environment where we really uh, break down barriers and change our beliefs and prejudices. And maybe that that is really what's um, the key features that allow the contact hypothesis to sort of be activated relative to um, other types of interactions where you don't have as much collaboration going on and maybe you get more of the racial threat story going on so that's sort of a lot of what people think about and talk about when uh, when they've been studying this in, in a variety of contexts
1: right and i think you mentioned in your study also that age may, might be at play here too so maybe children and adults might react differently
0: yeah so we talk about that a, a, a bit in the paper you know i think. Uh, really, our our work and we're economists. Um, we are stepping into a terrain that, again, like I mentioned, a lot of sociologists and political scientists have worked on. And one of the ideas that we think is kind of interesting in this work is, um, in the political science literature, you know, there has been this work related to child development, which suggests that maybe the attitudes that are important for determining different political beliefs or preferences are they could take hold in earlier stages of life relative to like adulthood. So when you're an adolescent, maybe that's a really critical period where your attitudes are being formed. And so uh, contact during you know, adolescence or even earlier in childhood could really matter. And again, that's sort of one of the things that's sort of at play in our paper, which we'll talk about, of course, shortly, but we're studying schools um, and young children.
1: Yeah, precisely. So your study then focuses on North Carolina and you know, you're know you looking at the end of race-based school busing there in 2002. And so can you tell us more about the context, what happened there and really why did busing end?
0: Yeah, so um, here's how it was sort of set up. Prior to 2000, uh, the school district in Charlotte, they had operated under a racial desegregation order. And so what that meant was Uh, the school system attempted to even out racial uh, competition across schools. They didn't want one school to be all white and one school to be all black. Uh, And they did this by doing a busing system. And so here's how this worked. They had, you know, because cities themselves, neighborhoods are very segregated. What they did to try to balance out schools was to bus um, minority students from um, the inner city Um, out to uh, other schools in the suburbs, which were predominantly white. Um, And so they had that busing system running um, prior to the 2000s. And then what ended up happening was in the very beginning of the 2000s, a parent in the school system sued. And after a sort of years-long legal court case, the desegregation plan that they had in place in Charlotte was dismissed by the court system. And that meant that the busing system had to end. And the school district, they ended the busing program and they also redrew all the school boundaries because they needed to smooth enrollment across different schools now that they weren't running the busing program. So really in this paper, we're studying sort of the end of busing um, and trying to use this event as this natural experiment to learn about, okay, now in this aftermath of this, the busing program being over school boundaries being shifted around we have a lot of students switching schools and a lot of students are changing how much contact they have with minorities in this context and that's sort of right. what we're doing so actually
1: i'm curious this is such a fascinating story because it involves parents and their actions changing you know the, the school environment that that kids go to so what do we know about how parents feel about this whole busing story just so we understand the motivations of actors here
0: um so you know Parents and, and their choices over schools are incredibly important to understand just in general whenever you have any shift in school characteristics out there in the world. Um, in our context, of course, one of the things to keep in mind is that um, you know, school boundaries are changing, busing is stopped, some parents may be upset about, oh, okay – you know, my child is now going to go to this assigned to be in this school relative to some other school that in previous years they have been assigned to. And um, they may, as a response to that, opt to send their kid to a different school. To whatever, you know, to the extent that that happens, and it does happen in our sample that some people sort of opt out, that's something that our study can't really speak to in the sense that, you know, what we're learning about is the effects for people who sort of stick with their assigned school in terms of- right the effects out there. Uh, so there's, you know, to some extent, you know, we are the contextual nature of our study is that we can only learn about the effects of increasing exposure to outgroups for the people who are complying with this natural experiment. And that's sort of one way to interpret the effects right. that we are getting in our study.
1: Mm-hmm. So so specifically, so the point to understand here is that opposite parents have school choice. So when we have these policies for school integration, you know this encourages parents to change schools based on the school they're assigned to but parents have the power to choose other schools uh, such as apply potentially to charter schools or go to the private sector or whatnot so they have other choices so not every kid is going to go to the school that they've been assigned to so and therefore your your results kind of speak to those who stayed and in fact for on average you know once they stopped this busing which was again racially motivated that they wanted to get more integration of blacks and whites what was the effect of the end of busing on the degree of segregation of schools yeah so and and also the degree to which whites therefore were interacting with blacks in school
0: yeah so they i mean what we see in the data is You know, about half of students were assigned to a new school in the aftermath of the dismissal of the busing program and the redrawing of the boundaries. So lots of people were reassigned to different schools, and this actually had a dramatic effect on people's exposure to uh, minority groups or majority groups in different schools. So uh, we saw pretty rapidly that, you know, there were very few all minority schools before uh, the busing program ended. And then afterward, the share of schools that were very, very, very high minority schools really, really increased. And that's just because they had stopped doing the busing. And then white, white schools, for example, that, you know, predominantly had white students there, um, they their share of white students really increased over this time period. And it happened, you know, with you know, the first two years after this happened, really school composition changed. So we saw rapid segregation take hold in these schools after the end of the school busing program.
1: Right, so now white students were more likely to attend schools with predominantly white students versus as compared to before where they were attending a more mixed environment, right? Yeah, exactly. Right, so, you know, After this busing was stopped, there was less contact, you know, with black people. On average, for the students who were reassigned to school that were relatively more racially homogenous. So on average, for white students, they'd be reassigned on average to schools with more uh, white students. And so what's really amazing here is that you and your co-authors, you were able to get data on people's voting registration. And I'm talking here about the kids who experienced this in their childhood. Later on, they grew up registered to vote and what you can see there is you can see what party they registered uh, for or potentially if they were uh, unaffiliated and so you took your data about these kids and looked at uh, their political affiliation so what was the effect uh, of the end of busing on uh, white students party registration
0: yeah and so just like you said one of the exciting things in this paper is that we were able to link the this sample of children who are affected by this policy to their later long-run voting outcomes. And in terms of our analysis, what we ended up finding is that you know, white students uh, who were assigned to schools with more minorities in the aftermath of this program, and there's some of them that, that do get exposed to more minorities, and so, but on average, most people are being exposed to fewer minorities. But basically, being around more minorities made, pe- made white students less likely to be a registered Republican in adulthood. Um, and so that's the main core finding that we have uh, in the paper.
1: So how big was this effect?
0: Um, so we find that, for example, uh, you know, increasing um, the fraction of minorities in your school by about 10 percentage points, that was associated with about a almost 10% uh, reduction in the likelihood of uh, being a registered Republican um in adulthood so a relatively large uh, effect from um this change in exposure to um students of other races
1: right so to give people an example here a 10 percentage point increase would mean that you know if you go from a school that is let's say uh 30% black to uh 40% black that's a 10 percentage point increase and that's the sort of change yeah. that induces a 10% reduction in the probability of being a Republican. So essentially, as you go to a school with more Black students, when you grow up, you're less likely to uh, become a registered uh, Republican. And, uh, and so, but overall, as we just said, the impact of busing was to reduce the share of black students, on average, that uh, white students would be in contact with, and so therefore, what does your result imply about the effect of the end of busing?
0: Yeah, you know, on average, is, it is. It has the aggregate effect is implying that you know more white students are registering as Republicans because these schools are um, becoming more segregated throughout the system. Yes, exactly.
1: Right. So the end of busing meant that more more white students were registering as Republicans, which is really fascinating. So why do you think that might be that white students were more likely to register as Republicans because they were exposed to fewer black people in their schools?
0: Yeah. I mean, and so this goes back to sort of a lot of political science literature in terms of thinking about the interpretation of these results. So um, the main thing that we have in our mind is that exposure to more minorities in school, that could matter for party affiliation because um, it could be influencing the preferences or beliefs that people have that vary sharply between the two major political parties in the U.S. And so, in the, again, in the political science literature, there's been a lot of work showing that racial attitudes are tightly linked to party identification. You can pull up survey data, and it frequently shows that Republicans, for example, are less likely to agree that whites have had uh, economic or social advantages um, uh, relative to other racial groups in the country. Um, and so the, it really does seem like there's, the, there, there's this sort of racial dimension to party affiliation in the US context. And we think that's sort of the tie uh, in our setting is that, okay, maybe what goes on is you have this increased exposure to minority groups, it changes your attitudes, and uh, you know, then that changes later like political affiliation.
1: Right. So basically, if exposure to black students might make you Change your attitude. So, for example, you might be more likely to think that racism is real, perhaps because you heard about it from your black friends and so on and so forth. And once you hold those beliefs, it might feel more uncomfortable for you to register as a Republican because the majority of Republicans might feel differently about this issue, for example, about how real uh, anti black uh, racism is. And therefore, you wouldn't feel comfortable being you know in the republican party or at least feel less comfortable so for some people who were kind of in between this experience might have pushed them towards not identifying as a republican uh, whereas before they might have uh, you know with Uh, without um, busing, they might identify as a Republican because they don't know that many black people. But with busing, and if they knew more black people, that would change their attitudes and they might no longer be comfortable identifying as Republicans for some of them. And again, this is not for everybody, but for some of them who are maybe more in the middle, more independent and kind of leaning in between the two parties, it could be dissuasive once your beliefs and experiences change.
0: Right. Right. That's, a, that's the kind of the mental model that we've got in place.
1: Right. So, but so that we talked a lot about how this experience changed the political beliefs and, you know, registration of white students once they become adults. So, what about black students? How did the end of busing influence their politics and their voting and their registration?
0: Yeah. Um, so, uh, as you mentioned, you know, uh, there are, we also analyze. Uh, minority students and their behavior in our context too, because they were also affected by the end of the school busing program. Um, what we ultimately found is that students, uh, the minority students who are exposed to more minority peers, we find pretty precise null effects on whether or not they register as a Repu- or as a Republican or a Democrat. Uh, but we do see some impact on the likelihood of registering as an unaffiliated uh voter and the way we interpret this in the paper is that it's uh one interpretation is that it's evidence that's sort of suggestive and in line with a group norm theory and so for that the idea which again comes from political science work is that um, recently there's been a lot of uh research that suggests that support for the democratic party is a norm uh for black americans which is the pr- predominant minority group in our setting and That theory would predict that Black children who are exposed to more Black peers, they should have a greater likelihood of adhering to the group norm. Um, In our context, the fact that we find exposure to minority increases uh, registration as an unaffiliated voter, it's suggestive with this group norm theory just because unaffiliated voters in our context are – you just empirically see that they tend to vote um, for democratic – candidates. So we sort of interpreted it as suggestive but weak evidence in line with this group norm theory. In terms of those results, what we got for um, minority students and how busing affected them.
1: Right. So for, for Black students, after the end of busing, they were more likely to be around other Black students. And since most Black people are democrat that's kind of group norm that might have influenced them to become more democrat but you don't see a whole lot of evidence for that but some evidence consistent with it is that they were more likely to register as unaffiliated which it turns out the unaffiliated in this context are somewhat more likely to be democratic leaning yeah exactly they're not not registered democrats
0: yeah so we're sort of bringing Um, some people in on the sideline who you know are coming in on this unaffiliated channel there yeah
1: Right. So, you know, your results overall, they're consistent with the contact hypothesis for race. And so the idea is that white people become less prejudiced about uh, Black people or something along those lines. Their beliefs change in a way with busing and with encountering more Black people when they're young students in such a way that these white people are less likely to be uh, registered Republicans. So that's certainly your results go along with that story. But another story that might also be consistent with your results is about social class. So, you know, black people on average, again, in this context, tend to be lower income. So whites who, you know, were more likely to be around Black uh, students when they were little. They might have learned about the difficulties faced by lower-income people. And as a result, these white students, once they grow up, they might have drifted away from the Republican Party. And why would that be? Because the Republican Party, relative to the Democratic Party, tend to, tends to not put as much emphasis on redistribution towards low-income people in general. So another story that might be going on here is the class-based story where where it's about income mixing so that you know if you mix higher and lower income people the higher income people you know are more sympathetic potentially to redistributing towards the lower income people and as a result given the political positions in the US they are potentially less likely to be Republicans uh, than they would have otherwise been. So uh, what, what, what do you think about this other hypothesis, which, you, by the way, you also discussed in your paper?
0: Yeah, no, the, you raise a really, this is a really important point. And um, there's at least one way of getting at the potential role of social class in our setting. If the story is really about intergroup contact along the lines of economic status rather than race, then one prediction that you might have in your mind is that we would see heterogeneous responses based off of whether a white student was uh, rich or poor themselves. And so one of the heterogeneity tests that we can get at and do is we could, uh, we, we can exactly test that. And so um, we should see that, again, if that's the story, we would see that uh, exposure to more minority peers should have no impact for white students who are poor if this social class story is what's going on. Um, we test that in our data, and we actually find no evidence in line with that story. What we see is rather, if you take white, rich, or poor uh, students in our setting, they both have similar magnitude reductions in the likelihood of being a registered uh, Republican in adulthood, and that's sort of inconsistent with this idea that the, you know, the key thing that matters is social uh, social status, social class, economic class
1: that's fascinating i mean basically what this says is that you know if you're a poor white person you know what it's like to be poor right so you don't necessarily need to learn that from right. your black peers and and therefore being exposed to more or less black peers shouldn't really make any difference to your kind of class views because you have right. already your own experience and potentially some of your other poor white friends uh, you know to stand in for that and so the fact that poorer and richer whites were similarly influenced suggests that it's more the race dimension that matters yeah. rather than, than social class here. So that's, that's, that's really, uh, that's really very interesting. So then, you know, overall, what we can conclude from this is that basically the end of race-based school busing increased white students' likelihood of registering as Republicans. And so, uh, given our results, uh, what are the policy lessons about the impacts of busing and racial integration policies more generally?
0: Yeah, so uh, the thing, you know, just to take it a little bit big picture at, at first, just to say, you know, overall, it's worth emphasizing that our findings are contributing to an important literature that just generally looks at the effects of these school integration policies. And so prior to our work, you know, we, there had been several papers that had looked at uh, how integration policies affect education and long run labor market outcomes. And they have found that you know, minority students had notably better outcomes as a result of those programs and policies. And so what we do is we're bringing this additional new finding into this literature that suggests that integration can also have important impacts on later life political behavior. And in particular, we're focusing in on, you know, like one of our key headline findings is this changing you know, change in behavior for the white students. A lot of other research had focused a lot on how minority students are benefiting and hadn't sort of gotten at this um, other dimension of what was going on uh, for students and integration policies. And, you know, coming back to uh, some of the you know policy implications. Well, again, remember that notably, our findings are consistent with the contact hypothesis prediction that integration can reduce prejudice, and so we're saying that that seems to be the case in our in our particular schooling setting that we are looking at. And this is important since policymakers could also, if they're considering other types of integration-related policies, if they're concerned about uh, you know backlash or worsening of attitudes, uh, you know, our study at least provides some evidence that, you know, the contact hypothesis in a school setting is potentially operative out there. So that's one of the things that we sort of take away from um, the paper. Right, And but also,
1: you know, to the extent that ending some of these integration policies and not having them leads uh, white students only to become more Republicans, this would seem at least probabilistically to imply that there's going to be even less support for integration policies, right, to the degree that Republicans tend to be less supportive. For,
0: yes, for sure. Yeah, that sort of is, it sort of a it has a cycling feature to this that it, it sort of even, exacerbates the the party gap in terms of people's, um, you know, support for any policy like this. Yeah. So that's very interesting in
1: terms of the potentially different situations that you could find yourself in that, you know, hypothetically, you could have a situation where you have integration policies and that acts as... A channel for actually further inducing support for those integration policies through this partisanship channel. Whereas conversely, if you remove them or don't put them in place, it has the opposite effect of entrenching the absence of integration policies potentially uh, through the partisan channel again.
0: Right. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Um, so that, that would imply that, you know, it could be quite valuable from, a, I mean, certainly this is all down to your political strategy and which camp you're in. But that means that this should be a very contentious issue. If, if so, you know, if, if it's self-reinforcing, right. then, you know, if you're a Republican, you really want to crush this because not only it's out, but in the future, it makes it somewhat less likely that it's going to be in. And conversely, if you're a Democrat, you know, you want to have it on because it's likely that the thing is going to persist, right? So it's sort of, I feel like your findings are a little bit up the ante uh, about whether you should support these policies or not.
0: That is, I mean, that's a, that's a, an interesting, I mean, you could take our results in that direction and, and think about it that way and project them out. Um, so it is, it is. You know an implication of the findings here
1: right so you know it, it's it's again these are really fascinating findings and as you said it's not only that we see some positive effects of integration for black students but it seems that white students are also impacted as you've shown through the change uh, in political uh, affiliation so again these are really fascinating results and uh thanks so much for being with us today
0: yeah thank you for having me